Sunday night the Lord told us Sunday morning that he was going to send the healer in our midst and he did we had some good things happen and of course I believe that the healing virtue of God is pretty much forever and always in our midst I think our failure is to re how do we draw from that I mean how, how do we actually get a hold of God not just to be touched uh, like the little lady with the issue of blood and everybody was touching Jesus but nobody was getting anything but her and just seemed like she was determined that she was going to uh, get to a certain place and do a certain thing and God was going to heal her if, uh, Jesus was going to heal her if I could but just touch she said the hem of his garment I know I would be made whole I think some way or somehow there's a missing ingredient there. I'm not going to speak on that tonight, but I think there's a missing ingredient there. I can't speak on it because I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happening. Uh, I'm asking God to reveal uh, some way or somehow. Uh, talk, talk to us, Lord. Tell us uh, some of the things that's happening, what, what we're doing maybe or not doing, and speak to our lives. But uh, God not only touched physically, he touched spiritually. He was a delivering God, and uh, uh, he was certainly what he said he was. And uh, I just feel like that uh, after we have that, sometimes there's, a, there's just a warfare that goes on. I mean, I don't think we prepare for that. I think we just got through feeling the power of God, and we forgot that the devil's still alive, and he's certainly not going to relinquish that which he has held. And that part of her life, actually, which has been his for a long time, he's going to try to regain that. And he's pretty successful at that. A person has to be on his toes. I want to read to you tonight from the 15th chapter of St. John, just the 12th and the fourth, down to the 14th verse. It says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have, not, I have made known unto you. Father, we thank you for the, for the word, and we thank you for the preservation of it, and we thank you more than anything else, God, that you have enlightened our minds such as it is to know when you speak. We pray now that you would add your blessings to the word of God. Strengthen us, Father, in our, uh, in our display to you as we try to present the word of God in the way it ought to be, and open our minds and open our hearts, and we'll give you praise for it. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak tonight to you on some questions that God had placed in my mind. It was in my mind to try to present some of the things that God had given me concerning our failure to get or retain our healing, but there's so much more in that, and I don't want to jump the gun, but he has placed something else in my mind, and it is simply this, and this may lead up to that. There's some questions I would like to ask us at the beginning of it. What is happening to relationships? What is happening to relationships, relationship between friends? What's happening between relationship between brothers and sisters of like precious faith? What is happening uh, of a relationship between families? And these are some of the things I would like to deal on, and some of it will be our old hat to some of you, and uh, maybe to others it will not be. But I want to talk about building some relationships. And the way to do that, of course, beginning is to communicate. And communication is not talking. Just necessarily communication takes time, and it takes some quality time, and it takes some effort. Yes. A lot of uh, friendships fail and relationships fail simply because we don't give quality time to a relationship between friends, relationship between brothers and sisters. And more than anything else, relationship between families, whether that be a natural family or a spiritual family, it takes quality time to build relationships. Yes. Quality time and relationships are built through open communication with one another, that we are open to one another, open for reproof, rebuke, or whatever. And I have noticed uh, if we speak to you concerning some of the things that 
Uh, you are comfortable with why we get a good reception, but if we happen to cross you a little bit sometimes, you can feel the darts as they begin to penetrate toward us, all right? So you need to be open to what God has to say. If it's not your life, then forget it and pray for somebody else. But if it is, strike a chord in your life, then recognize and go to God and say, I'm guilty. That's where I stand, and I want to do something about it. Good relationships. Let's start off with that. It seems that everybody wants them. Everybody seems to miss them. But where do you place your order for them? Do you buy them at a bookstore? <laughs> do you have a special training to qualify for good relationships? Do you apply for a license? Are they inherited? And many of us don't even know what a good relationship is. Much in the world and a lot in the church anymore because it's not been taught on much. A survey by a leading family magazine showed that 71% of those responding to that survey felt family life in America is in trouble. Well, we don't have to be told that. We can see that. Another study by Christian psychiatrists found that 75% of those married considered their marriage a failure and rated their homes as unhappy. I would say that is certainly a calamity. I would say that presents a big problem, and almost half, a little bit more than that now, of today's marriages will end in divorce. Now, you don't have to do anything but pick up your newspapers and look at families, and you'll see the name of one child one name and the name of another another name. That's in our small community, so it doesn't take too much to realize that, uh, that we are in trouble as far as marriages is concerned. Now, one researcher even claimed that the basic, and these are his words, the basic building block of society is shifting from the family to the individual. In other words, people have become so selfish that they're not family-oriented anymore. They are individually oriented. They look to themselves and what they want. Now, I believe that God has a better and a more workable plan for families and relationships and friendships than we have saw and that we have adhered to. Good relationships come to life in the fertile soil of a family. Through careful nurture, cultivation, these relationships will blossom and their harvest will be plentiful. But the failure of it is, I think, and they'll overflow from our lives. And the thing of it is, I don't think we recognize the importance of a family unit. I don't think Christians do. I don't think they understand that they have to communicate. Young married people as well as old, we never get past a place to where we have to communicate. Many marriages fall apart in later years because it seems like husband and wife have nothing else in common. The kids are gone. Uh, they've devoted their life to them. They have forgotten one another in that process. And in doing that, they have grown apart and their relationship has ended and there's no communication, there's no talk. One goes one way and one goes the other. And half or two thirds of the time, one don't know what the other was thinking or doing. And it takes some quality time to get a relationship. The same thing goes for friendships. You see, God didn't leave us in a vacuum. He provided detailed instructions to us as to what it does. Most of the time... We simply are not acquainted with God's Word. I don't know why I keep coming to that. I guess I do too because I don't think yet that we have really become acquainted with God's Word. I don't think we as Christians really put enough time and study and effort in the Word of God to try to find out what God has to say about our problems. Can you say amen? God has solutions for our problems. But sometimes we whine and we groan and we moan and we complain about problems in our life and then we seek a solution from somebody else in some area when all the time a little bit of study in God's Word would provide answers to a whole lot of unanswered questions. God has not been behind time at any time. He has centuries ago laid down in detail some of the things which provides for good relationships. Now God displayed... God had a model home. Do you know that? Yeah. God displayed that model home in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And he said it was good that Adam should not be alone. That starts the beginning of it. It says it's good, was not good for Adam to be alone. It was not good for him to be alone. And remember this. When we look at it, Adam 
was, had a friendly companionship with animal life. He lived in probably the plushest, most fertile environment anybody has ever known. No ecological problems there at all. And he even, even enjoyed the presence of God himself. But in spite of it all, God looked at Adam and said, something is lacking in your life. There's something missing in your life. And so God created Eve to form the first family, and God looked at it and said, families are good. In other words, when you begin to do away with the family, you're doing away with the creation of God and the apple of God's eye. In other words, this is the first thing he looked for after he created the earth, after he made the Garden of Eden, after he put everything else there in Adam. Then he made Adam a wife, and then he expected Adam to have a family. Now, Adam and Eve was commanded to have children. Now, anymore, the world is doing the best they can not to have children. And if they do get to the place where children seem imminent, then they have the abortion. And then they seem to correlate this with the Word of God some way. I don't understand that. But God looked at it and simply said that man ought to have children. That was a a divine design to live in families with children. That was the parents' responsibility not only to have them, but to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents, you have a responsibility, and it does not end there. Grandparents, you have a responsibility. And brothers and sisters in the church, you have a responsibility. Not only was it commanded of God in the Garden of Eden of natural families, it was commanded through Jesus Christ at his death, burial, and resurrection that there would be a spiritual family. And spiritual parents were to look after their spiritual children. That, too, seems to have gone by the wayside. You see, only disobedience to God ruptured or did away with the relationship that God placed. It was sin that drove our first parents from the garden. It was sin that motivated the murder of Abel by his older brother Cain. It was sin that disrupted family life then, and the pattern continues today. Family life is under attack, and when family life is under attack, God is under attack, all right? We need to understand that. It needs to come back to us. We need to understand that we are not just man and a woman with a little crying baby sometimes to come into our midst. With that comes a responsibility that God has given that we will answer for someplace, sometime. I realize that our children don't always do what they're supposed to do, but we are supposed to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I feel sorry for individuals that have lived their life uh, without God and reared their family in such a fashion until they become teenagers and then are older and then they come into the house of God with full expectations of the teenagers coming right along with them and it doesn't happen and they're devastated. So what I'm trying to say and what God's trying to say is start in early, do the right thing and raise your children the way they're supposed to be raised and get a foundation under them. A lot of children that's wayward today has never had a foundation. We talk about teenagers going wild, but most of the time it's because parents went wild first. There was never any Christian foundation at all. There was never any relationship. There was never any communication. There was never any quality time given to the children. And we lose them fast that way, saints. We lose them fast. We get so busy, quote, making a living or doing this and doing that. Friend, that is not the most important thing there is. I mean, if you have to live on meal gravy and water gravy or whatever, your family is more important than what you put in your stomach. It's more important than the type of automobile you drive. It's more important than the type of clothes you wear. It's more important than the roof over your head. Children are the most precious possession there is. And God has placed that responsibility upon the family. Anytime you read a book of sociology, almost all of them say that bad homes usually make bad marriages, and that in turn will produce more bad homes. Now, sometimes you'll find a break in that, but most of the time it follows right along. Bad parents doing these things raise 
children that way. They have bad marriages. Children have bad marriages. Then they turn out more bad homes. And then those children come on, and it's a vicious cycle on and on. So how do you break this vicious cycle? What can you do about this? Well, you can't run the life of somebody else. But if church people could learn their responsibility of who they are and what they are and what they have to do about it, simply because the thing that breaks a cycle like this has something to do with love. I want to say that again. To break this cycle, it has something to do with love. You ask anybody. You talk to any dislocated individual. You talk to any homeless individual. You talk to any alcoholic. You talk to any prostitute. You talk to almost anybody. And the things they miss most in their life is somebody to care enough about them to have an input in their life. Someplace, somewhere... Church failed its responsibility. Parents failed their responsibility. Society failed their responsibility. Simply because it took more time than we was willing to give to provide a good relationship, which is through love. You see, it's a persistent thread. It just keeps running through all civilization. Time you uh, read from ancient civilization, read from the Bible, and all of this, the power of love. What changes the course of humanity? What stops wars and what stops the threat of wars? And what stops diseases and all of these things? All boils down to the power of genuine love one for another, caring one for another. Back to the development of one another. To care enough about somebody to put some quality time in their life. But the devil has taken our time, stolen it, wrapped us up in, in little threads, and we don't have time for ourselves, much less time for any suffering brother, sister, or piece of humanity. And what we need is some relationships. And what we need is some communication, quality time of communication, to restore those relationships. Did you ever notice in the, old, in the New Testament at the beginning of the church, and, you know, I, I hear this, and, and uh, I think probably it has something in, in essence. But uh, I, I hear the fact that uh, I need to do this and I need to do that uh, to kind of get out of this thing. I, I need to go here, I need to go there, and sometimes it's good. Don't get me wrong. But have you ever noticed at the beginning of the church in Acts, do you ever notice what they did for relaxation? Got awful quiet in here. Did you ever notice what they did for relaxation? They went from house to house. They visited one another. They didn't gossip. They didn't talk. They talked about Jesus. I mean, their communication was about God. And uh, it used to be when ministers would come together, the first thing they would ask is, what did God reveal to you? I want to know a revelation. What did God say to you this last week? Not last year, not ten years ago, but what did God reveal to you last week? But now then, if you're not careful, you get involved in a bunch of ministers and you have a lot of jokes and some of them come off color. And sometimes the hand of the minister ought to be concerned and be familiar with his flock. So how do you break this cycle? It's only through love. Ancient scriptures and literature surfaced with that. When you read Proverbs, it says, Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all transgressions. That's quite a statement, isn't it? And yet it is a statement. Proverbs 10 and 12 had that. Songs of Solomon says, His banner over me is what? Love. So you see, it's hard to get away from it, but where did the concept of love originate? Where did it come from? The prophet Jeremiah told the people of Israel through his tears that God loved them with an everlasting love. These were disobedient individuals. Jeremiah was crying, uh, the prophet Jeremiah was crying through his tears. Israel was a rebellious house. They had sinned pathetically. And yet, Isaiah, th or Jeremiah, through his tears, said, God loves you with an everlasting love. In other words, any time you're ready to be loved by God, He's ready to love you. Amen. His love does not cease. But the full explanation of love actually was demonstrated in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. I mean, we could see it all through a thread itself all down through the Bible, but it come into being through human instrumentality through Jesus Christ. 
because here was a man uh, like and sub, sub, uh, just like we were had the same things in his life that we had and yet had a love in there and demonstrated that love in very unfamiliar circumstances times when he ought to have hated he loved time when there should have been malice and envy and strife in his life he loved and yet he had the audacity to tell us to be like him I'd like to ask us tonight, do we have that type of relationship with God enough to have that type of relationship with one another? I think not. And I think perhaps this might be some of the limitations to us. Because God wants us to love even as he loved. The Apostle John said that God is love. I mean, we say we have God. Well, if we do, then certainly we must have love if God is love. There's a failure someplace, saints. There's a breakdown someplace. Also, and said that, and we love and obey him because he first loved us. Let us love one another, for love is from God. First John 4, 7. God's love for us is our grounds to love one another. I mean, we cannot do it any other way. And that's where Christian home begins. A man and his wife, each one love related to God through Christ, who is expression of God's love to man, each related to the other in human love and mutual trust. I want you to look at this triangle here that we put together and look at that and bring it down just a little bit and you see what the triangle is. The closer we get to God, the closer we get to one another. Perhaps that might be some of our failures. The strength of this triangle is invincible. There's no way that you can break this as long as it is doing exactly that way from God to the wife to the husband back to God and turn right around and go the other direction. And there you find the love of God. The closer each individual moves toward toward God, the closer he moves toward the other. Have you not seen that in the house of God? Have you not saw the love of God as it, it, it roots itself and blossoms out and the closer a congregation gets to God, the closer it gets to one another and the farther away it gets from God, the farther away it gets from one another and brings room for bitterness and envy and malice and strife and judgmental attitudes. And relationships then cease. Because we have ceased our relationship, whether we want to believe it or not, we have ceased our relationship with God. Because if we still had the relationship with God the way it ought to be, we'd still have relationship one with another. Doesn't just count on one individual. This begins and goes not only materially or naturally, but it goes spiritually. You see, closeness brings into focus the other person. When you start getting a closeness, then it brings in focus somebody else. You see, before I was married, I thought of myself. It's just me. I had to take care of myself. What I did was for myself. And then I found out somebody else was in my life. And love brings me to a focus and brings it away from me, in a sense, and heads it the other direction. You see, and we need to understand that. You see, but if we don't know who God is, if we don't understand God, then we can't understand really one another. For that, maybe this explains why God has to back us in a corner, corner sometimes and, and have a crisis in our life uh, so we can get ourselves into perspective the way He wants us to be. You see, maybe this is why he uh, takes all stocks out and leaves us hanging there. Because it's then and only then that we recognize that God is the only one that can help us out of this problem. Again, let's don't lose sight of God, saints. Let's don't lose sight of Him in our home. Let's don't lose sight of Him in the church. Let's keep a relationship. But in order to have a relationship the way it ought to be, we have to discern... Uh, that roles are absolutely indispensable for living with a purpose, for making your marriages work, and for families to function, you have to understand that not only did God formulate and put a family together, but he gave roles for the husband, roles for the wife, and roles for the children. 
Uh, what roles? That'd be almost the question that the majority of individuals ask today is, what roles are you talking about? Because uh, sometimes we've almost lost in the pollution uh, of mixed up people. We're living in a society where their marital roles, uh, what man is and woman is, has simply been blurred. We don't see them. Because we've got this feminine approach, we've got this masculine approach, we've got this type of thing where nobody knows what is what, and we're, a lot of people are convinced there's absolutely no difference between a man and a woman except biologically. And some of them even say a little bit later on, we're going to blend that too until it's unisex. Can't be done? Oh, yes. Now, I want, you, I want to set before you a basic principle. I want you to understand this. Roles always determine relationships, and relationships create responsibility. There is a responsibility of the wife in the natural marriage. There is a responsibility in the role of a husband. And there is a responsibility and role of children once they get up old enough to understand and you have taught them right, they have roles too. Honor thy father and mother that your days may be long upon the earth and on and on you can go. They have roles too. But children that have not been taught that naturally would not want to know what a role is. Now, I want you to look in the book of Ephesus. Just leave that on there if you'd want to take your seat there. And Ephesians, I want you to look in the book of Ephesians. And it tells us how to live a heavenly life in a hellish world. We complain about our world. We complain about what is happening. We look around and say, oh, the divorce rate and pornography and, and abortions and everything else is happening. And sometimes we just get the idea that it's almost humanly impossible to live a heavenly life. But once we understand the roles, and I meant to mention too that there are roles in a church family. Oh, yeah. You see, God took uh, the church family and made it, it made the natural family an example for a church family. And so there's roles of individuals there in that too. You need to understand that. Because sometimes we don't understand what our role is. We're always trying to be somebody else and do somebody else's job because we feel like we can do it better. Okay? Now it tells us the first three chapters lays a foundation, a theological foundation. The last three chapters talk about the walk and conduct of a child of God. But nestled in this very intensely practical second section of Ephesians is a passion or a passage dealing with roles and relationships and the responsibilities of the husband and the wife. Yeah. Now these are not news to some of you, but perhaps I could bring some things to your mind that might shake you a little bit. Ephesians 5, 22 and 29. There are two main strands there, if we look at it, the husband's position and his passion. His position and his love. His authority and his heart. Now, of course, this likes to be argued, but not too much in uh, Christian circles. The husband is described as the head of the house. Now, that lends authority to this relationship. But authority does not come without responsibility. I mean, you just don't look up and say, I'm the man of the house, and therefore I'm the authority figure, and you just do whatever I say. Not so, saints. That's just not the way it is, and I'll prove that to you in a minute. The context here is extremely crucial. Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What does the filling of the Spirit produce? How will I know that the Spirit is in control of my life? And it's not hard to determine as you believe it is. There are some clearly distinguishable marks and something that shows you whether a man is functioning under the divine role as he ought to. And the first proof of that is a move of the Holy Spirit in our life. It involves being subject one to another in the fear of God. Now, we've always heard that the husband ought to be submissive, or the wife ought to be subject or submissive to her husband. But before we get to that, it involved being subject one to another in the fear of Christ. 
In other words, there should be a respect there for Christ and his law. Submission being subject is not exclusive responsibility of the woman. Whether we want to believe that or not, submission is the lifestyle of a Christian. It does not mean that women are always to be submissive. We are submissive one to another. We'll get to that perhaps a little bit later. To the woman, the question is, are you willing to submit yourself, not first of all to your husband, to the Lord, but to the Lord's plan for your functioning of your relationships with God? Are you willing to do that? You see, if you can't submit yourself to your husband's leadership, then your problem is not only with your husband, but your problem is with God. Because it definitely tells us to do that. The filling of the Spirit always involves submission to Christ. I think that's a hang-up with some of us. Is we don't find ourselves to Christ. And even after being filled with the Spirit, there has to be a submissiveness to Christ, submissiveness to His power to let the Spirit flow out and through us. But to learn how to be submissive to Christ, all you need to do is look to what God says. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. Christ is not in the process of cramming anything down his bride's throat, which is the church. In other words, you cannot force submission. Got that? You can bring it through respect, but it takes also the respect of your wife to your headship. And if she kicks the traces, then there's not a whole lot you can do, only pray. And neither is a scripturally enlightened husband if he is it's because if he tries to cram something down if he tries to force if he tries to overrule if he tries to cram it down your throat well then he doesn't understand the word of God but also he needs to understand that he might have some personal emotional problems himself and his supposed leadership is just to cover up to get what he wants am I doing all right? Okay, now then, Ephesians 5, 25, and 29, the phrase is repeated twice. And any time that something is repeated twice, anyway, it is important. And this is what it says. Husband, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. The husband is to be head of the house. He is also to be the heart of the home. In other words, a lot of things that's been dependent upon the wife. Husband's been out doing his thing while the wife is shackled sometimes at home with the children. Have shirked your responsibility. You have not been the heart of the home. You have not found your place in God of responsibility through your prayers and righteous living before God to put a cover or a canopy over your household. Because we've been too busy. And we have left the teachings and the practices of the introduction of Christianity to the wife. And the wife, if there is a heart in the home, the wife on a lot of homes has to be the heart of the home while the husband tries to be the head and it doesn't work. Just doesn't work. If the husband is to be a leader... You see, he's, he's got to be, he's got to not only be a leader, but he's got to be a lover. Now, we don't get too old to be lovers. A lot of ladies have left their home because husbands have not been lovers. Okay? Now, if the husband is a leader, tries to be without being a lover, he's an overbearing, autocratic individual. If he's a lover without being a leader, he'll be a sentimentalist, and things not, cannot happen there because authority is not his. 
If he has leadership with love, no woman in her right mind. No woman in her right mind. A lot of them don't have a right mind, okay? Is that all right? No woman in her right mind uh, will resist placing herself willingly and submissively under a man who loves Christ, uh, who loves as Christ loved the church. I mean, you produce that type of an atmosphere in the home, and no woman in her right mind is going to refuse that. But if you try to dictate that, you try to remind her every day that you are the authority figure, and yet with that there has been no heart in the home, only the head, then she is not going to nestle under your arm. She's not going to do it. Now, this one ought to get you. Loving one's wife is a full-time assignment. I mean, it's not something you do every month or every year. Okay? It takes every ounce of creativity a man has to pour himself into this person that God has brought into his life to love just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ died for the church. So it's not a weekly thing and it's quite an assignment. Wives, if you think submission is a task, run this one by you. Okay? Because that's what God is holding your husband responsible for. To be your leader, to be your lover. And the question I have to ask, if you make it easier for him to lead you, to love you, or harder? Amen, Brother Hoskolo. I've been meddling ever since I've been up here. I'm trying to, trying to bring relationship into focus, and the way you start that, and that's, and we'll get to, uh, not today, but we will, uh, but next week we'll get to friendships and other things like that. But it begins at a family. I mean, if we can't develop family relationships, it's hard to develop relationships outside the family. You'll notice uh, a family that doesn't have good relationships inside their family doesn't have good ones outside. You find an individual who has a rebellious relationship in the family, they're going to have a rebellious relationship wherever they're at, in in their home or in their workplace or wherever they might be. So it has to develop in in a family. I thought as I was going over this, God, I wish I knew that a little bit better when I was raising mine. Maybe I could have done a better job. Maybe I could have just created a better image. But I can't go on a guilt trip. I did the best I could. But husband and wife have been placed together. And God has demanded the husband love the wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and that ought to be continually giving yourself for your wife. Her needs are supplied, things that uh, she needs, not only only in the uh, natural realm, but things that she needs as far as mentally or as far as uh, emotionally. A lot of husbands don't have too much heart for a wife sometimes. It gets emotional because... We are, most of us are not made with the emotional type uh, that, that a woman has. Their makeup is different than ours. And they get excited maybe over a few things that we don't get excited about. And they take to heart some things we don't take to heart. That's why God made the two. So it would equal out. But sometimes in the emotional stress of it all, and a wife needs some emotional help and some prayer and some spiritual guidance, Old hubby's just busy doing his thing and can't understand why she can't be like him. Well, you wouldn't want to marry her if she was like you. I'll guarantee you that. You wouldn't have wanted it. Okay? And then he teaches us how to live and what our roles are, how we ought to love one another, and I'm going to close in just a moment. And then husband and wife become parents. 
we've had each other for some for a long time and some for not very long and another little person just slips into her home very subtle and all at once well there it is it wasn't anybody else but just us two so we focused our attention upon one another and uh, we did things for one another and there's places we could go that that we can't go now because here it is here out here in this world is this screaming crying little thing that we look down on and wonder what in the world have we done and then all at once mama has to look at the little one and papa don't get the attention he used to have <laughs> and then all at once mama don't get the attention she ought to have and then all at once if you're not careful if there's not communication if there's not quality time to study your relationships one with another there's going to be wedge driven inside and the first thing you know the mother's attention is going to be completely on that little bundle of joy and then the father comes in instead of kissing his wife he kisses the baby okay a lot of other things is taken away and and, and uh, here we are it's our baby we can't believe it it's a little girl, it's a little boy, it's warm, it's wiggly, it's hungry, wants uh, food, wants attention. And the first thing you know, we're trying to do all of those things. And we have to realize that this little fellow is part of both of us. And now we could create something real sweet, something real loving and something tender. We could create a monster. And there's been a lot of monsters created by moms and dads who have not had the time to give or would not take the time. But that's what it's about. It's loved, it's wanted, it's cared for. And when parents love God, they love one another and they love their children. And the children learn to respond to the love for parents and for each other. And this love is a good relationship because it's God's plan. That's the way God planned for it to be. And the Bible just assumes, I don't know that you can find any specific place there, but the Bible just assumes that children are naturally to be loved and cared for. That's what we bring them into being for. And somebody has observed this. When the naturalist violates the laws of nature, he gets chaos. When the parrot ignores God's plan for human life, he gets distortion or some other type of thing. Relating to children the home as a parent is not only doing, but it's being. Right. We've got a world that does a lot for their children. My children do a lot more for their children than I could ever do for mine. And I have to stop them once in a while and ask them, is this being? Is this really love? Is it love to get a child something that it wants and you know it's not good for it? Is that love? And I have to, I have to ask them sometimes, it's not only just to give to the children, you've got to be something and shape their life or something. You've got to live a life. You've got to present God to them. You've got to make them understand that God is the most important thing there is in a life. But if it's not important to you, it won't be to them. That's true. There you go. And so many are failing in that area. God knew exactly what he was doing when he placed Adam in the garden and began home life. Chuck Swindoll says, Home is the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It's a place where life's bills come due, the single most influential force in our earthly existence. It is here in the home that life makes up its mind. 
It is here that they are introduced to the most precious thing in this world. It's not to say, saints, that they're always going to follow it. God, I wish that were the case. But I will guarantee you one thing. If you introduce a child to God and to the love of God and make them know that, wherever they go, they're never going to forget that. It's going to follow them. It's going to go with them. But you see, much life is lived outside the home. And so we not only have to have or teach them communication and relationships in the home, we have to begin to build on the process of them going out from the home where they can mix and match in a world. We have to, have to teach them how to have good relationships in the world. We have to teach them who to have relationships with who to shun and who not to get mixed up with, in a sense, and how to recognize that. That's the responsibility of the parent. It's to spot these things. It's to know, asking God to reveal and tell you that this ought not to be, and to separate your child from that as quick as you can, as long as they are under your jurisdiction, because when they get out, there's not one thing you can do about it. But you see, they have to begin at home. And once we build good, biblical, solid relationships from the home, it's going to spill over in our friendships, people outside of our families. And here again, God provides instructions for those who will listen. And we'll end right there. Because I want to talk about the friendship and the relationships of brothers and sisters this next coming week. And what we can do, and we've already laid the groundwork of what we can do. And once, once we fail to recognize our roles, and the child has to recognize it's the role of the parents. But a lot of them have two males, or two dads, and two mothers. And don't really know or understand what's going on raised up in that type of an atmosphere. Someplace, somewhere. God will judge it. I can't. But to you and I who've had the sensitive ears tonight enough to listen, not only tonight but at other times, should we double our efforts as parents, as young parents here? Others are already went past they've done the best they could in raising and they're just limited to advice and if I wasn't so used to giving advice to the church and it not being taken it'd be hard for me to give advice to the children it not be taken yes Well, see, God has already, God has already been everything that we need in the spiritual sense of the word. And God was not only doing this and this and this for us, but he was being that for us. He is our salvation. He made our salvation. He lived that life. Jesus did. God, God in flesh lived that life. And he not only was just doing for his children, he was being something for his children. His life was lived. Not did he just write commandments and say to do it. His life lived those commandments. And I think what we're trying to say here is, is in a family situation, we don't just make orders and give orders. We simply live. We don't say do as mother or dad uh, says, but we say do as we do. Follow us as we follow Christ. In the same way with the religious aspect of the church as well as the leadership is, uh, leadership must not demand that you do something that they don't do. You follow Christ. Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. And if there's any place 
where leadership departs from following Christ, then you have a right not to follow them. But as long as there is no place, as long as we just don't like what's going on, we have no right not to follow leadership. They're being, not, not just doing. Okay? Let us stand. I want us to come up to the altar. I want us to pray for Brother Don tonight. I feel like God touched him Sunday night, and I, I just feel like that, that the devil is just trying to give him a black eye, and I just want you to come. Stand here, and we're always going to pray for him and, and others. And uh, if there's any low places in our life as far as our relationships are concerned with one another with God, let's ask God to reveal that to us and help us to follow after that. Father, you're a good God. And my God, how we love you tonight. Father, it just seems like that the more we know about you, the more we love you and you keep revealing yourself. Now, Master, we come into your presence and we ask that you deal with all of us. Let your word find a solid place in our life and challenges. Father, I ask right now that you stretch forth your hand. Father, on Brother Don Williams, right now in the name of Jesus. Father, that you take the pain away from there in the name of Jesus. Let the holy presence of God be felt, the manifestation of the power of God in his life in the name of Jesus. Father, and let there be victory. Master, we know victory came. We know the life of Christ, the reality of God. Hallelujah. We understand that. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. We're going to anoint this cross with oil. We're going to send that to him. Anybody wants to come up, I'd appreciate that. We anoint that in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Touch that with me. Father, in the name of Jesus. Let your spirit and your power of God be seen within here. God, let it be an act of faith right now in the name of Jesus. Let your power and anointing of God work on as he pins this upon his body in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We feel your presence and your power. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, do the work. And let this rebuke the adversary in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.